Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, the federal government unveils new gun control legislation that includes a buyback of assault-style weapons banned last spring. But the program will be voluntary. How will that make communities safer? I'll speak with the Minister of Justice about the new measures. This week marks the beginning of a major ramp-up in vaccine supply for Canada, and that underscores Canada's dependence on foreign vaccines. Tonight, we'll hear from one Canadian company on the push for a made-in-Canada solution. And our panel of parliamentary journalists will be here to discuss the key stories of the day. We'll begin tonight with new gun control legislation, Bill C-21, unveiled today by the federal government. After announcing a ban last May on some 1,500 models and variants of assault-style weapons, today's legislation proposes to buy the banned weapons back at a fair market price. But owners could also keep the weapons if they meet certain strict conditions. Those include not using the guns, selling them, transporting them, transferring or bequeathing them. The government says the voluntary buyback program would cost an estimated 300 to 400 million dollars. Other measures include red flag laws to allow for the immediate removal of someone's firearms if they present a threat and allowing municipalities to ban handguns. We also need uh, to ensure uh, that uh, anyone who chooses to keep those weapons uh, needs to store them securely, needs to uh, inform us fully about uh, all the details on those weapons and demonstrate secure storage for it while not using it. These are the things that uh, we have determined is the best path forward to keep Canadians safe, to get uh, as many of these weapons out of uh, uh, circulation in this country as possible and to ensure people are safe uh, moving forward. I think Mr. Trudeau misleads people when he tries to suggest that that buying things back from hunters and, and other Canadians who are law-abiding is somehow going to solve the problem of, of shooting and criminal gang activity in the, in the big cities. It's, it's ignoring the real problem, and it's dividing Canadians. My main concern is that this might prove to be um, an electoral statement by the government, um, which doesn't want to displease anybody. And we'll make this law or the part of it about the buy-back uh, policy uh, not mandatory, which makes the, the position, the law, under many regards, useless. Canada's Minister of Justice, David Lametti, was at, uh, was at the news conference today on the new gun control measures. He joins me now. Minister, good to see you again. Thanks for being here. Pleased to be here. Look, why has your government decided that a voluntary buyback program for assault-style weapons is the way to go in this country instead of implementing a mandatory buyback program, which a lot of people had been calling for? Well, look, th first of all, this really does complete uh, what we did in May uh, in banning uh, 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 military-style assault weapons. Um, we, what we're doing here, it's not, it's not a, a voluntary buyback in the sense that other people think about voluntary buybacks. What we learned from the Australian and the New Zealand experience was that they really needed to get more information about the guns out there. Uh, and this is the message that we got. Um, 
So while they did have a so-called mandatory buyback, they ended up getting about 50,000 weapons returned, and they, they think there's probably another 100,000 out there in the New Zealand case. Mm. What we're doing is we are creating an incentive scheme and, and mandating that people have to now register uh, these, uh, these weapons. They will be uh, subject to, to strict uh, regulation in terms of storage. Uh, they'll have to report to us on that storage, pay a fee. And then when we have that information, what we have in addition is a, is a buy-brack incentive because they won't be able to use the weapon for anything. Uh, they're they're prohibited from using the weapon for any purpose. They can't shoot it. They can't right. transport but, it. But if, what, they can't what, sell it. They can't give it away. Right. So they can look at it, and that's it. And so we think that given this whole package together, there's a great deal of incentive for people uh, to turn their their gun in uh, for a fair market price. What, what's the cash incentive? How much is what's the fair market price? Well, it has yet to be established. I, I know Minister Blair mentioned a figure today, but but we have to. Yeah, I think he said he said I think he said thirteen hundred dollars, but that was being still being discussed. That's right. That's right. Okay, and so how, how will that be determined? I mean, I've heard gun owners say these things are anywhere from that kind of price to up to two and twenty two thousand twenty five hundred dollars. So how will you decide what's a fair market price? Well, that's that's something that that Minister Blair's team and the the whole the team at Public Security is going to have to look at uh, over time, and so and they'll they'll do that. Those are next steps. But but for the time being, the important part of it is getting the the uh, regulatory picture in place in the sense that we need to get these guns weren't registered before. Hmm. So uh, as with other countries, there wasn't a, an idea of what was out there. We're going to get a better picture of what's out there. We're going to force people to to register. Uh, and, and we're going to uh, have these weapons safely stored. Uh, and they won't be able to use, be used for anything else. So I think that's a good start. And then we'll work on the buyback program as we right. As we but go. but how? Like the whole idea of this this you know uh, crackdown is to is to uh, make communities safer. So I guess how, how is the threat to others minimized if a person is still allowed to keep the banned assault style weapon? If that person wants to commit a mass shooting, what's in this bill to stop them from using that weapon? Well, we also have the extreme risk uh, provisions, so the, the so-called red flag and yellow flag laws. What we've done, where, there's, where there is uh, a fear that, that a person, uh, the wrong, let's say the guns are in the hands of the wrong person for whatever reason, um, anybody with knowledge of that uh, can uh, go to a justice of the peace, uh, get a court order, and that, those guns can be seized immediately. Uh, and and that's something that uh, that community knowledge is there. It, it you know it's not just the potential victims, but anybody else who may know about the existence of these weapons is, can go to a peace officer. And and this is so these red flag laws, which a number of of uh, experts think are are critically important to this, and where where the Biden administration is actually going. Uh, all of these are I think very strong measures. There are also yellow flag mm -hmm. laws, which are slightly less uh, serious, but would, would in, in involve the, the, um, uh, a lapse and a, a, a suspension of the registration of the weapon. So uh, all of these help uh, others around uh, the gun, if you will, uh, to be able to flag when okay. it's, when it's uh, not being used properly. I guess it occurs to me that, that allowing gun owners to hang on to these weapons uh, does raise the potential, uh, I suppose, of a future government reversing the ban Maybe gun owners will think that might happen. They'll just hang on to them in the hopes that the future government will reverse the ban. What's the potential of that? Well, this, we're enshrining this in law. 
Uh, and so it, it would require a legal change. Mm -hmm. Let me underscore that the majority of Canadians, vast majority of Canadians, are, are law-abiding citizens. The mass, vast majority of gun owners in Canada are law-abiding citizens who use their guns for hunting and for sport. And, and we're not touching those guns, and we're trusting that, that other people who own what are these now prohibited weapons will want to remain on the right side of the law and will do, uh, will do what the law is asking them to do, and they'll continue to be legal. Okay, a couple of quick questions to finish up here on this, and I want to quickly ask you about assisted dying as well, but uh, you, you, there are also provisions in, in this bill that would allow municipalities uh, to ban handguns, uh, backed up with penalties, and why is your government going that route instead of introducing a national handgun ban and avoiding a possible patchwork of rules across the country? Well, I think that this represents the reality of Canada. Uh, and that uh, the ways in which guns are used are different uh, in, in certain parts of the country than in others. So it allows municipalities where there is an, a, a, a belief, uh, a very strong uh, belief, and, and, and I share it as, as, a, as an urban Montrealer, uh, that handguns have no place in our cities. Um, so it allows those cities to move forward. Obviously, we have to respect the fact that cities are creatures of the provinces and, and their bylaw power comes from the provinces, and so they'll they'll have to work with the provinces, and so will we, uh, in order to affect these kinds of bans. Okay, let me ask you about your assisted your bill on assisted dying. The Senate has proposed amendments that would allow people who fear being diagnosed with dementia or other comparable disorders to make advanced requests for an assisted death. Uh, another amendment would put an 18-month time limit on the proposed ban on assisted death for people with a mental illness as their only underlying ailment. Are you prepared to consider those amendments as the clock ticks down here to a February 26 deadline. Look, we've we've said from the outset this is a difficult issue. The issues that that the Senate has identified, that you've identified, are very deeply held and, and difficult issues. Uh, we thought we had the balance right, but of course we've said from the beginning we would respect the parliamentary process. I thank the work the Senate has done, uh, and we obviously owe them uh, a close look at all of these provisions in in their in their totality. Uh, to see where it takes the legislation. We'll, we'll certainly consider all of them, uh, and hopefully we'll be in a position to get back to you in coming days. All right, Justice Minister David Lametti, always good to talk to you, sir. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you very much, Peter. The federal government is banking on the hope that Canada is about to see a big boost in vaccinations. After a month of sluggish vaccine supply, starting this week and into early April, Canada is expecting a combined total of well over 400,000 doses a week of Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. That will include 1.3 million doses of the Moderna vaccine all in the month of March in order for the company to meet its obligation of 2 million doses by then. Today, the Prime Minister once again defended the federal plan against opposition criticism. We live in a country of nearly 38 million people. To vaccinate everyone is going to take a colossal effort. So will the Prime Minister start showing leadership by committing today that the federal government will fund federal vaccination sites across this country to vaccinate as many people as quickly as possible? Yes. Honourable Prime Minister. 
Mr. Speaker, unlike the NDP, apparently, we understand Canada's constitution and respect provincial responsibility on health care delivery. We have worked hand-in-hand hand with them from the very beginning uh, to deliver vaccines uh, for Canadians. We are moving forward on supporting uh, the provinces as they vaccinate and as we brace for the big lift, the moment in which tens of millions of vaccines will be arriving in Canada, and we're going to need to work very quickly to vaccinate everyone. We will be there for Canadians as we have from the beginning. Well, the ups and downs of vaccine supply has underscored Canada's dependence on foreign vaccine suppliers and our lack of domestic capacity. The House of Commons Industry Committee is holding hearings on that. Canadian companies are working to produce a Canadian vaccine. One of those companies is Providence Therapeutics of Calgary. CEO Brad Sorensen appeared before the committee today and he's with me now from Calgary. Mr. Sorensen, good to see you. Thanks for making time for me tonight. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on. You said today that as early as March of last year, your company had developed the vaccine. And here we are today, the vaccines in human trials. And I guess my question to start us off here is, are you satisfied that you received all the support you needed from the federal government or its agencies to get your vaccine produced and tested as quickly as possible? Um, we received excellent support from the agencies of the federal government. Uh, I don't believe those agencies were given the uh, wherewithal to to do as much as they had hoped to do. How do you mean? Um, so I don't believe that there was that there was a lot of strategic uh, vision within the, at the at the decision making level in the federal government to to really enable the agencies, uh, you know, i.e., uh, the NRC to really um, push forward with an aggressive speed. Uh, the programs that uh, that they were interested in, in in moving forward with. Yeah, so I guess I, I you know, if I'm hearing it correctly, uh, here you are in the midst of this pandemic, trying to create a Canadian solution. You're probably trying to you know run at the speed of sound. You're you're trying to move here, and but you're up against a machine that is not thinking the same way. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was dealing with you know our our counterparts at the NRC, I mean, you could you could sense the frustration that they had as well uh, in that, you know, they realized we wanted to move forward faster. We wanted to, you know, take things, I mean, simple things, hmm. you know, we got support for our phase one trial. Well, there's a lot of work while you're in phase one trial that you need to do to be ready for phase two and phase three and, and, and to ramp up uh, production. And, you know, basically their mandate is, well, we have to get through phase one, evaluate that in, in a very sequential nature. And that, that's not going to succeed in responding to a pandemic. Um, you know, the, the U.S. had Operation Warp Speed where, the, you know, so many things were running in parallel. And that's what we're trying to that's what we're trying to engage the federal government to to sort of stop the sequential thinking as it relates to Canadian vaccine development and be a lot more, um, you know, have their own sort of warp right. speed approach. Uh, so I guess the bottom line is, could, could you have had an approved vaccine by now being given to Canadians, manufactured in Canada, if you had received, uh, I suppose, the right kind of support from the federal government or, or as this process moved as quickly as it could have? Uh, no, we, we definitely could have moved faster. Um, you know, Moderna got a billion dollars and they got, you know, green lighted, you know, by the FDA on, on numerous, numerous uh, exceptions. 
would we be in the exact same position as Moderna? Uh, likely no, but we weren't we weren't looking to do that. Uh, you know, we would have been. Right now, we're talking about our phase one trial and wrapping up production for to begin this this uh, summer. We would be in our phase three trial. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, we could have run our phase one trial uh, starting last summer if we would have had the support and as we originally proposed. Um, but you know, I, I'm not really here to sort of right. litigate the past. I'm here to sort of focus on what can we do in the future and learn from our let's, mistakes. Let's do that. We know the Manitoba government's ordered 2 million doses of your vaccine once it's approved. Uh, what interest have you received now from other provinces or the federal government to, uh, to push this product along and to get it to, uh, ready for Canadians as quickly as possible? Yeah, so certainly. Uh, I mean, BC, or sorry, Manitoba taking the initiative and, and reaching out to us to, to purchase uh, vaccines certainly lit a fire under other premiers. Um, and so we're definitely talking to, to other premiers right now. And, you know, I'm happy to say that we had our first discussion with uh, Minister Champagne and, you know, o over the weekend, uh, which was a, I would characterize as a very productive discussion. And so, you know, I have to tip my hat and thank, uh, you know, Minister Pallister, our uh, Premier Pallister for, for taking that initiative, because I don't think that would have happened had somebody not stepped forward uh, in a leadership role in Canada and, and made it happen. Okay, this this committee, um, let's talk a little bit about the future. This committee is looking at ways, the industry committee, to build a Canadian vaccine capacity. That's what you're all about here. Uh, what's required to put Canada back in the vaccine game and how quickly can it happen? Because I don't think a lot of people believe this will be the last pandemic. Uh, certainly, and <clears throat> so there's a lot of discussion about capacity and building up manufacturing capacity in Canada. Um, you know, and and on the and on the committee meeting today, um, there was you know an individual that was representing a group out of Saskatchewan. Um, I believe that it's important for Canada to support, you know, this research and this and this this work across a number of platforms. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, as CEO of Providence Therapeutics, I believe very strongly in messenger RNA, mm -hmm. and and that's what we're taking forward. Um, but that's not exclusive that doesn't exclude you know us us doing other other things in canada and so and it's different manufacturing you know we don't need um some of the same facility set up that that you would see with with uh you know these other more traditional ways of producing vaccines right ours is all synthetic it's it's actually very very simple for us to set up and to increase capacity um, I think it surprised some people on the committee today when they heard that, you know, in July, we're going to be producing half a million doses a day uh, with with our partners, uh, Northern RNA and uh, Emergent Biosolutions mm -hmm. in Canada. And, you know, there was some, you know, some other folks in the uh, in the meeting that were kind of at disbelief that this could happen. But it's that's that's the reality of messenger RNA. Right. It's, it's it's very scalable. And, and your, your, your closing message here, as I hear it, is that, you know, yes, Providence is, uh, you know, wants to, wants to be in that game and, and considered and, and helped and so on. But it's important. I think the lesson we may have learned here is that you need to have your you dip your oar in a bunch of different bodies of water here to fight this pandemic and make sure that I think that's what I hear you saying. Make sure that we're su supporting this kind of research across many different uh, organizations and groups. 
Um, all right, Mr. Jonathan, thanks for your time. It was good to uh, be able to talk to you today. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Let's bring in our panel of parliamentary journalists now to talk about some of the key stories of the day. Susan Delacorte's a columnist with the Toronto Star. Joelle Denis Bellavance is the parliamentary bureau chief for La Presse. And John Iveson's a columnist for the National Post and a parliamentary bureau chief for Post Media. Good to see you all. Uh, Susan, let me uh, throw it out to you to start here. New gun control legislation table today includes this voluntary buyback on those uh, 1,500 banned assault-style weapons. What do you think of the government's approach here? Well, it, it's uh, from early reaction, it doesn't seem that it's attracted the support of the people who wanted something tougher. And it's, as usual, going to enrage the people who um, who don't believe that uh, there should be any gun control at all and that their go government is just going after legal gun owners. So um, if, if the success of a political... Uh, move is measured by its ability to annoy both sides, then I would say this is a winner. But um, I, I, I'm left, I, I, they're doing it because they said they were going to, mm. but I'm not sure exactly what is accomplished here. And the timing is interesting too. Um, it's, you know, the, the big issue on Canadians' minds um, was gun control last May when we saw the shootings in Nova Scotia, but in the middle of February when um, when it seems we're consumed yeah. with the pandemic. It was interesting timing. Great. Uh, Joel Denis, what, what are your thoughts on this? And I, it seems in talking to the Justice Minister, David Lametti, a little earlier in the program, they're writing, a, putting a lot of emphasis on the whole incentives idea, even though we don't exactly have cost numbers attached yet. They're really hoping that if they tell people these guns, well, if you want to keep them, they sit in your basement forever, you can't touch them, or you can get some money back by selling them to us. The, the incentive point seems to be the one that the government's really holding out there. Yeah, exactly. They're not following exactly the uh, example of New, Ze New Zealand, which made the program compulsory, right. obligatory. You had to bring back your gun or otherwise you'd be caught in, in, in uh, with some uh, heavy fines or penalty, criminal penalty. So they want to they appeal to the good uh, sense of responsibilities of gunners who will have guns that are illegal, they can't no longer be used bring them back to government, and then have some compensation. The interesting thing is that neither the Prime Minister nor Minister Bill Blair wanted to know, wanted to tell us uh, today at, during press conferences uh, how much will this cost. They have a, an estimate of how many of those guns might be out there, between 150000 and right. 200000 but they won't tell us how much I, it I, I thought cost. at one so point he got pulled around to saying it might be somewhere between $300 million and $400 million, uh, based on sort of 1300 bucks a gun as the buyback, but... I've had lots of gun owners suggest to me that the, their guns are worth way more than that, and 1300 bucks won't cut it. But, uh, John, let me jump to you here. And it, it occurs to me that, and I've raised it with Mr. Lametti, that the notion that it, uh, there will be, I think, a, a fair number of gun owners who won't buy the incentive thing. They'll say, look, I'm going to keep this in my basement on the off chance that uh, maybe a conservative government gets in and reverses uh, the ban. Is that uh, How realistic do you think is that as a way of thinking? Well, you know, I mean, cost estimates, we, we were all around for the, the billion-dollar boondoggle on, uh, on the gun registry, so I don't think they probably count for too much. Um, you know, if you're a gun owner and you're getting offered $1,300 and you think your gun's worth two grand or whatever, and there's a prospect that this law might be repealed, then why wouldn't you do that? Mm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I'm not sure why anybody would need an assault rifle, to be honest, mm. but... but uh, you know, the, the government, again, seems a little bit ham-fisted in the way that they've done this. You're either going to 
repeal it and do it compulsorily, which apparently is effective according to the studies, or you're going to do it the way that they've right. done it and, and not be effective. Uh, Joel Denis, let me flip to you on, on, on vaccines here. Um, the Minister of uh, Procurement, Minister Nan, said today that uh, they expect fi uh, sorry, Moderna to deliver 1.3 million doses in March to meet their obligations. Uh, you know, the ramp-up starts this week with more Pfizer vaccine coming and so on. How important are the next four to six weeks for the government here in terms of vaccine rollout? It is critical, and I think it's also critical that the federal government, given that it's going to get more vaccines, get the provinces up to speed as how to, how many will get per week because the the provinces have to uh, administer those vaccines and if they get too many and not enough people to uh, um, get those uh, vaccines in the arms of Canadians we have a, 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 another problem not enough people to administer those vaccines so it's critical for the government to make sure that the provinces are aware of what's coming up and prepare in consequence and I think the prime minister and the federal government should re reiterate their offer of putting maybe military uh, uh, personnel or armed forces to support the vaccination campaign. Uh, that's what Jagmeet Singh is, is pushing for. And Susan, yep. uh, we've seen recent another recent survey here. 69 percent of Canadians blame the feds, not the provinces, for the slow vaccine rollout. I'm sure the federal government would like to, you know, you know crush that number in the next six weeks by having everything go well. Uh, what are you watching for and how important are the next five to six weeks for the federal government? Hugely. We are in a really intense race here. The, the variants, as we see in Newfoundland, went from having no cases to having to shut down an election, basically, over the weekend. The, the variants are a huge problem in this, and they are racing faster than the vaccines are getting to Canada. So I think, and, and we're seeing, you know, week after week, People are looking for somebody to blame for this. It's, it, I, I don't know that people are directly connecting. I don't have vaccine and I'm just mad at this pandemic. But there is a, it's a collision of forces right now. A variant that is making things, threatening a third lockdown. Uh, vaccines that were held up just a couple of weeks. And a federal government that is probably uh, a little bit worried about... Um, the mood out there of the public. John, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think the government set a relatively low bar by saying that they would have 6 million doses by the end of March and then everybody who wants a vaccination by the end of September. You know, I think by their own calculation at the start of the year, when you look at the number of vaccines that they were getting set to approve, that this was a, a really attainable number. And, and now it looks less attainable. I mean, for Moderna to hit the 2 million dose mark by the end of March, they've really got to crank it out. And, uh, um, you know, 4 million from Pfizer by the end of March. I think if, if the government doesn't hit them, then there really will be, uh, I mean, there's anger already and frustration already, but, it, but it'll be apoplexy because, you know, as Susan just mentioned, this is not a, a political debate or an academic debate. This is actually people's lives. And, and, and I think we're, we are heading to a to a third wave and maybe the most acute wave yet when you've got a, variants out there that are 60 to 70 percent more virulent than the, than the ones we've been dealing with. So, you know, the government is really on a, on a what you would say, a cricket, a sticky wicket here. It's really got to get this done by March. It's got to get it done for right. sure by September. Let me quickly... Or the, go ahead, John. Sorry. Yeah, I got you. Well, or they're, I mean, they seem... Uh, they're, they're, 
lead in the polls seems almost impregnable, but but it won't be if they miss those two deadlines. Right. Uh, let me stick with you quickly here in the latest developments on the Canada-China relationship. Uh, two Michaels are still being detained. The ongoing clampdown on freedoms in Hong Kong. Uh, the the declaration uh, that uh, Canada uh, led uh, without actually identifying uh, China. Uh, calls to uh, relocate the Olympic uh, Games next year. Uh, how is the Prime Minister and his government, how are they handling this now? Well, I saw the Prime Minister today was asked about whether there's a, a genocide taking place in Xinjiang. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, when you look at that closely and the people who are being detained, many of the women are being sterilized. I mean, that is an attempt to eradicate that ethnic group, which would seem to fit the bill. You know, he agreed with the, with the use of the word genocide when it came to, to uh, the missing Native women's uh, in, inquiry. Um, I think that's a little bit inconsistent on his part. The government still seems to be to have blinders on about China. Um, you know, I interviewed Mark Garneau, and he was talking about cooperating with, with the Chinese. I think it's going to be very hard to cooperate with the Chinese Susan, going uh, forward. Susan, uh, what, what do you think of the latest developments we've seen in the government's handling of the China file? I'm, I'm waiting to see. It feels like it's escalating all around. As you, the, the, your, That was an impressive list there of things that were going on. It was uh, Aaron O'Toole out today asking for the ban on the Olympics. It feels like something is moving. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's toward cooperation, but I think the unknown factor in the mix is Joe Biden. Uh, when Kamala Harris and the Prime Minister spoke a couple of weeks ago, they talked about the two Michaels. I, I, I get the sense that something is moving, but as usual with this one, uh, most of it is happening behind the scenes, mm -hmm. and it's all done in this strange cryptic language of yeah. diplomacy. Let me give a final word to you on this in the little bit of time we have left, J.D. Well, it seems to me that the uh, Liberal government is trying to find the right tone again, still after many years in power towards China. And I suspect that they will take some cues from the new Joe Biden administration, who, as Mr. Biden has said, he wants to have a firm stand on, on China. So uh, if uh, the U.S. Uh, you know, uh, takes a firmer stand, I think you will hear Canada follow suit soon. All right. Uh, thank you all for your time tonight, and uh, we'll be uh, chatting again soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Right. That's all for this edition of Primetime Politics. Thanks for watching. Take care. <laughs>